back to the Dead Spot Podcast. My name is Drew, and as always, I'm joined by Tony, Josh, and Dirk. Boys, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, enjoying myself a nice slice of pizza. How are you doing tonight, Josh? Uh, not too bad. It's starting to change weather. It's cold, it's warm, it's cold. How are things going down there, Dirk? Uh, we're doing good. I've had a good couple of hockey-filled weekends, so been a lot of, a lot of stuff going on over here. So. Nice. That's right. Uh, you guys were, Josh and Dirk, you were in York, was that two weeks ago? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, the weekend, yeah, week, the last weekend, yeah. And, uh, I, yeah. Dirk, I don't know if you saw the, the, the last evidence, you did tip that shot. They, uh, the video that they came out with that was on the news, it was, it was filmed from behind the goal, and you definitely see, I definitely got a piece of it. it. I put myself, yeah. No, if I hadn't, it probably wouldn't have gone in. I don't know if I directed it. For, yeah, because I pushed it right to the edge of the yeah, goal. Yeah, it was. So. I don't know. I saw it going, and I was like, I don't think that's getting that hole. I don't think that's getting that. And all of a sudden, it went in. So I, I, we said that right before. I thought it went off, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, definitely I on the video. It, it went there. off my skate. I think. Yeah, either skate or stick. I can't remember now. But I, felt, I know I. It wasn't much contact. Just, just a little. But so, so you assisted on Josh's goal. I yeah, no, I'll, I'll take the assist. <laughs> He'll get the own goal. Someone actually, someone actually said that. I got a trade. I got a trader goal. I guess. <laughs> no, but it was a great weekend. You know, we got to uh, we got a lot of people out on the ice, and we got to do a couple of good practices, and got some nice scrimmaging in. And uh, the news, all of a sudden, the news was there. I didn't even know they were coming. They're like, "Dirk, I need your help for a minute." I'm like, okay. And I'm like, "Where are we going?" They're like, "Oh, I just need you to do a TV interview for the NBC or whatever." I'm just like, "Oh, well, okay. I thought you needed me to like." where the bathroom was or something. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Brock, yeah, I did yeah. see that. I saw you and uh, Brock. Brock yeah, Brock does great. Yeah, Brock did a good job, too. And Grant. Grant was on. Uh, so was Max, yeah. yeah. Man, and Brock, I, I'm i so used to him having short hair that it took me yeah. a second to realize who it was. Me, too. I'm like, man, he's. I'm like, are you competing with haircut? I'm like, man, haircut might be losing his, his throne, man. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely going with the new hockey hair. He said he's throwing it out. And uh, so that was that was two weeks ago. And then Dirk, you guys down in DC had a tri blind hockey event last week, right? Yeah, we had. Um, I can't remember how many we ended up having, but we had quite a few. We had like four or five people that were totally blind that just get dropped off by cabs and just showed up. And like we had, you know, like, so it was a good time. Like we had, we we weren't expecting that many people. But, like we, so we had to like. Like I had to take around this guy, and you basically got to sign someone, and you stayed with them all night. So you made sure that they got on the ice, got off the ice, and made it to the bank. You know, to the the, the little party we had afterward with food and stuff. So like, it was a good night. Everybody got to really get to know each other and show each other around. And it was uh, it was a good time. I don't know how many of them. Uh, at least two of them played with us in the scrimmage. Uh, a thirty-year-old woman and her mother. I can't remember their names now. I never actually got to meet them, but. Um, they played in the scrimmage with us, so um, That's who knows? Awesome. Maybe, maybe we have a few new players, and a couple of kids might have, uh, might be interested. So, yeah, and I feel like that's always the thing with the tri-blind hockey events. You know, you when they're good, they're great. They're always great. It's just you always wonder how many you're going to keep from yeah. that number. Well, you try to make it as you want to make it as as memorable an experience as you can for these people because you know, we're trying to get them to fall in love with the game of hockey and at least and get them out of the house. Get them to socialize. And... Yep. Craig's uh, yeah. Craig's rate of return. He expect he said one out of every ten. So he says ten percent is his return. So that's really what we got to try to beat. Like if we can get like twenty five percent, like one out of every four people, that would be awesome. I'd love to get. I'd love to get two or three out of ten. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's basically what it is. Yeah, yeah. that's right about it. If you do, it, if yeah. you do one, if you do one, one or two events a year in your area, you know what I mean. That you're talking getting, you know half a dozen kids every year or so on team. Well, and it's finding ways to make it um, accessible. Yeah. You know, that's that's the other difficulty that I'm sure most of these, our programs run into is that, you know, you can get the equipment and skates for a tri hockey event, but being able to give that person that equipment um, is, is unfortunate, unfortunately is a big ask, you know, it's like you have to, and I feel like 
that's one of the trickiest things because this yeah. is not a cheap sport. <laughs> no, well, yeah, we got lucky because, like, well, back in Maine, we had, um, I forget, I think it was, like, Adaptive Sports for Maine. And they, they had a whole garage full of free hockey gear. And they just said, just bring your kid over here and we'll see what fits. And Washington, D.C. has got the same thing going over here. I'm not sure which who they're, who they're partnered with. But they got a whole warehouse full of free gear, too. That You know, obviously, if, it fit, if you don't find something that fits you, then you got to go out and buy it. But um, to just be able to go and just be able to pick out stuff just to get going, just so you can see if you like the game, um, I think that's helps awesome. people out to get going with it. So. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I did not know that, uh, that those were there in Maine. I know that, like, here in, in Chicago, um, we partner with the special hockey team, and they – they help us out if any of our players need some some loaner equipment and things like that. Yeah, um, nice. that's awesome, man. I hope you guys get some some people back. Um, yeah, I do too. And then Josh, not blind hockey related, but you had a pretty cool experience with the is it the New York Gay Hockey Association? Yeah, I, I think it's NYC, but yeah. So they um. This is, I think they did something at the Prudential Center last year, but they got to skate on uh, MSG ice, which um, I skated in the advanced game, which was second, and the, they didn't cut between, and the ice was so bad. And as, as a Devil fan, I have no problem saying that, but it was really awesome. I mean, the funny thing was, people were so amazed at the experience, but with my visual field... I had no idea what rink I was at when I was playing. Like, I didn't see – I'm watching the play. I can't see the fact that I'm at Madison Square Garden. I know I'm at Madison Square Garden. But it was cool. Uh, we, we hung out during the day. Um, I, I finished – I replenished myself with liquid fuel for, like, six hours and decided to have some wings. It was a fun day. Uh, then they, they, they put a whoop it on the pit, on the Penguins. So, at least it was a, it was a game where I, like – I didn't have to cheer for the Rangers, but it was nice to watch a team lose that I enjoy watching lose. <laughs> I'm, I'm also so then you must have, you must have enjoyed uh, the Bruins being the Islanders. Oh yeah, actually the Islanders don't bother me because there's not much Devils Islanders uh, history because they never overlapped. Like they, they. Oh really? For some reason, I thought you didn't like the Islanders. No, no, no. It's 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 it's, it's, it's fly it's the Flyers and the Rangers, which which brings me to which yeah. brings me to my next point. Uh, Saturday. Um, is the flyer is the uh, Billy Blind Hockey second try at event? Um, they have an awesome support for the flop from the Flyers, and uh, uh, the Flyers are awesome with all their organizations. I know they have one of the one of the first class warrior organizations, and uh, their director of alumni and youth sport uh, not alumni well director of alumni alumni president was there, um, but their director of uh, youth and amateur sports was there and really interested. So. The uh, there was a big snowstorm last time. There was still a good turnout. Uh, bunch of goalball guys, bunch of beatball guys. Um, one of the beatball guys that knows Alex, it literally like Alex, the guy once he got a hold of that puck, that thing flew. But he had so much, so much difficulty trying to find it. Um, and that's when I was talking. I was like, you know, Alex. That's why Alex kind of went and played goalie, and it's something that he's definitely interested in. So, um. Good things all around. I mean, the more triad events we have, the the more interest there is, and the bigger the numbers get. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Tony, you and I were the the intro for last week's episode, and we got to talk about the trade deadline. Uh, Black, like, uh, should the Blackhawks even be trying anymore? Well, uh, I know kind of what you're getting at is should they you know kind of just not necessarily try so that they can kind of tank it and get a higher draft pick um i know that this so it's been said that this year's draft isn't the most um plentiful as far as skilled players so it would be really good if we got a higher draft pick but it's um like I just said, the, the fruits aren't necessarily as ripe as next year's draft uh, class. So we've got the Blackhawks when they made that trade to for Brandon Hagel to go to Tampa Bay. Um, we The draft picks, I don't believe, are for this season. I believe they're for the following year. Uh, I think it's one this year and one in 20. Okay, okay. 
Well, yeah, yeah, and like I still, I think that you know people like Dominic Kubalik, um, Sam Lafferty, a lot of these players who are kind of uh, now have been given this opportunity to step up and maybe get a little bit more ice time, work on their game uh, for the following season because, uh, I, I don't know, some people might get traded, you know what I mean? And, like, I still think that there's a, a good reason for the Blackhawks to be trying, especially even more so a player like Taves. Um, Taves is in the second to last year of his contract and next year will be his last year at like what, 10 and a half million or whatever it's at. And if he's still wanting to play in the future, uh, whether that be with the Blackhawks or, or not, I think that uh, the remainder of this season and next season will be uh, humongous for him. Yeah. Man, I <clears throat> I thought that the weirdest thing I'd ever see was Duncan Keith in a different uniform, but I think that Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves in a different one would that that would be the strangest it would the strangest thing to see. It would hurt. Um yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Like when Jalmerson got traded, man, I was, uh, I yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was a rough one too. And just, I don't know. I mean, for the Chicago Cubs, if, if you're a Cubs fan, I'm not sure if you are. I mean, we just got rid of Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and in this past season and, you know, those were the faces of the franchise who brought the World Series back to uh, World Series championship back to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. No, it, uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, couple seasons. That's for sure. Because you know, who knows? Who knows if they would stick out the whole season or if they put themselves open for trade at the end, um, depending on where the Blackhawks are at. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're playoff bound, I'm sure they stick around. But if they're not, maybe they start thinking about other places. Right. Uh, I was hearing that it's more likely that Patrick Kane would want to stay because he's close to breaking the all-time uh, Blackhawks record for most points. And okay. And you know, that's pretty cool to do something yeah. like that. I feel like he would feel a little, maybe a little bit of regret if he had left. Uh, and felt like he had unfinished business here in Chicago. And, you know, I'm hopeful that both of them will make the decision that to take maybe not necessarily a pay cut, but a healthier contract. It's more sustainable to have uh, higher level contracts around them so that we can start. Uh, what's the word? Um, we can shorten the rebuild. By doing stuff like that, by uh, taking team-friendly contracts, because you're able to get better players around you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, I feel like a lot of teams are are at that point. I would have said that teams like the Devils were there, but I feel like they traded away a bunch of their... Like, didn't they trade their captain Andy Green a couple of seasons ago? I mean, but the, the, this is the this is the finally the rebuild the Devils should be doing. Like they're finally on the right end of a right rebuild. Uh, regardless of your opinions of him, uh, PK's contract has to go. See, so, yeah, I went with, I went with the yeah. contract on the way, but PK's contract. I mean, we, we're paying a number one number one defenseman money for a, like the sixth defenseman on our team. But I mean, like, there's you have uh, Jack's little brother on his way up, who's tearing it up at Michigan. Um, and we the Devils have the Devils uh, Utica team is is killing everybody. Um, so I mean, there's a future. It like they had to get. It, look where Andy Green went. <laughs> look where um, look where uh, what's his name went? Palms went. They all went to the Islanders. Back to Lou Lamarillo. Yeah. We haven't done much in the tr- like getting um getting PK was great when we got PK it just never worked out. Then we got Dougie Hamilton and now we're a destination. So we'll see what happens in the summer. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then, Derek, what about you in Boston? How long does uh, Bergie have left before he's retired? Uh, or... I don't know. I guess it all depends on if we were to win the cup in the next couple of years, and maybe that would be his grand finale, get another one of them and call it a year. But I think he wants another one. But, um, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. Uh, with a career, I mean, the guy's had a hell of a career either way, but um, he's one of the best two-way players in the business. Oh, yeah. Um, he's definitely, uh, him and Pasternak are definitely my favorite, favorite Bruins. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm definitely a big Bergeron fan. Um, I also, we just got this, uh, new guy, Lindholm. I can't remember his first name. Hampus. Hampus, yes. Yeah. yeah, no, I'd never really, I, you know, I, it's a West Coast team, so I really don't pay attention to the West Coast teams a whole lot. Um, I didn't recognize his name, but he seems, he's only played a few games for us, but he seems solid. He's kind of aggressive for the defenseman, but he steps in when he should. Um, he seems like he's, he's been a good addition, so, um, we definitely need that on the back end. Yeah, I feel like all of uh, Anaheim's defensemen are mm, good, good defensively, but offensively minded. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Like Cam Fowler, I feel yeah, like that. they're 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 really good defensemen, but they they think more about shoot first. Yeah. No, Maybe. he definitely isn't afraid to pull the trigger. I mean, I don't think he scored one yet for us, but he definitely has put shots on or at least towards the net to get it. Yeah, like if you're if you're gonna keep it and get it in deep, you might as well put it on net while you're at it. You know, I mean, just you know, crazy bounces happen. I don't care how it goes in off the skate, bounce off the cam off the wall, whatever. As long as it's in the back of the net, you know what I mean? Like a goal's a goal yeah. in the end. Absolutely. Just so like I the lo- one, just like the one you scored on your own. Uh, yeah, no, I did, I, I did good. Yeah. <laughs> for for Shanley, he, he should have had that. I, <laughs> oh, I it was on Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I was like, dude, that was me. I'm like, he's like, it went off my skate. I'm like, it went off my stick, dude, before it even hit your skate. uh, It just really, I put myself, I I couldn't even see Josh. I saw Charlie drop it back to him, and I heard a puck stop, and it stopped right outside my range of view. So I knew there was a shot coming, and I just made myself big, and I'm I'm thinking it's going to come high, and it just stayed right on the ice. If I had known that, I would have dropped down, but I didn't, you know, I I figured it was going to be up high because it was on the point. So, uh, oh well, <laughs> I tried. At least I got a piece of it. You know, it's not like I just stood there. True, so. true. You you were making an effort at least. Yeah, I was screening my blind goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I you know that seems like we had a lot of really awesome events, and um, you know that kind of brings us to our uh, guests for this week. We had Katie Mitchell on, and she is is she the team manager for? She's the team manager, yeah, treasurer okay. manager, I think. She also runs the Blind Hockey Newsletter. She's uh, Charlie Mitchell's wife, who plays on the U.S. national team. Uh, guys, I got to say, like, I hands down think that this was one of the best Yeah, interviews. one of our best interviews. She's, yeah. As much as she did, if we, like I said, you know, if, she, if we had 100 people like her involved with blind hockey, we'd already be in family folks. Yeah, um, she just gives so much of her time and herself to to so many different things, and I think people are going to enjoy uh, enjoy this segment. Yeah. So, uh, with that being said, we hope that you guys enjoy our interview with Katie as much as we enjoyed talking to her. All right, and this week we are joined by Katie Mitchell. Uh, for those of you. Who don't know Miss Katie Mitchell? She um, is married to one of the players on Team USA Blind Hockey, Mr. Charlie, and she also does the newsletter for Blind Hockey. So, how are you doing today, Katie? I'm great. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. Um, one of the first questions uh, I would like to re-ask you is um, how was your first experience with blind hockey? Uh, So my first experience with blind hockey um, was back in 2018, I believe. Charlie and I went to uh, Washington Blind Hockey practice, Washington Blind Hockey Club practice down in D.C., and a coworker had just um, kind of randomly mentioned to him that there was 
a team in D.C. He'd never heard of blind hockey before. He didn't really think it could exist. He was kind of skeptical. Um, but uh, we decided to go check it out together. So we went to like a 6 a.m. practice, and we were just spectators and watched. And after, he just turned to me and was like, I have to do this. So that was our first experience, and everyone on the team was was really great. It was nice meeting everybody, and um, it was the, actually the first time that we had met other people who were blind or visually impaired. So that was really kind of profound for both of us, too. Um, before that, we were kind of alone a little bit on this journey. So, um, yeah, I guess that's another thing that stands out to me um, about that day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you just brought up my next question. Um, would you like to go in depth and kind of describe your journey with Charlie through uh, his vision loss? Because the way that you had described it last time was incredible. And I loved hearing that story. And it actually made me cry, which is why I had to be. <laughs> and I am totally prepared to cry again. So if you'd like to share that, that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, boy, putting the pressure on. Um, but, uh, yeah, sure. I can give some background on, I guess, mine and Charlie's story. Uh, so Charlie and I met our first class freshman year at Notre Dame. I wound up at Notre Dame, um, as a golfer. So I was recruited out there to play golf and Charlie, um, was swayed heavily or pushed heavily by his parents to go to the university of Pittsburgh where they went, but he just felt a pull to go to Notre Dame. So, we both wound up out in South Bend, Indiana together, and we were in our first class. Um, it was a first-year composition class. I thought he was really cute, and I just kept following him back across campus every every time that we had that class. It was Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It was 3 to 3.50. I remember it very well. I'd make excuses like, I've got to go get another cup of coffee, and he was pretty much the furthest dorm from my dorm across campus, so I got some extra steps in. Um, but that that first semester, we just hung out a lot, and second semester, he asked me to one of his dances, and then from there, we started dating, and we've been dating ever since. Um, so, yeah, we've been together now for quite a long time. We got married, or I guess Charlie proposed right after senior year, and then we moved down to D.C. after we got married. So we got married pretty young. Um, I had just turned 23. And he started law school, which is what made us move down to D.C. He was at um, George Washington. And during law school, he did really well in law school, but it was always really hard for him to get through the readings. It was becoming more challenging for him to do just everyday tasks. And he was frustrated by it, but you know, didn't really think anything of it. And we were out on a date one night. He was pulled over because um, he couldn't stay in the lines while driving. And um, yeah, that and a, a few other things, including a racquetball game where I was crushing him and he was pretty insistent that he just couldn't see the ball. I didn't believe him. And then when I realized he really couldn't, we, we rushed to the emergency room that night, made sure it wasn't like anything super you know, life-threatening. At that point, I was thinking, gosh, my my husband of a year has a brain tumor or something like that. Um, but we ruled out some of that serious stuff and then started seeing some um, eye specialists and um, wound up at Johns Hopkins. Charlie was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. At the time, I mean, I was still just relieved that you know, it was something that we could confront that it wasn't going to take Charlie from me. And so I, I didn't really think too hard about the diagnosis from, from what I could tell. I mean, Charlie was still able to see me, was still able to do things. The doctor said he could hang on to his vision for a while. And it was kind of unpredictable. I think he, he really understood more what it meant. And I think he was living it and understanding how his vision was changing. So for him, it, it really started to affect him emotionally. I think he he kind of went to this place of retreating from me. And we, we call the, the first few years our, our dark years. Um, Charlie got a great job at a great law firm after law school and just poured himself into work. And 
I think we both were just kind of living maybe a little bit in denial about the vision diagnosis. I was still just happy that he didn't have a terminal brain tumor or something like that. And he was just trying to figure out how to have a career and how to make ends meet and all of those things. Um, Meanwhile, he was bumping into more things, having more accidents. And um, eventually things came to a head where, you know, our marriage was tough. Things were just hard. And, um, yeah, something had to give. So um, I had actually reached out to um, the Virginia Department for the Blind. And Charlie didn't really want help at that point. And um, a really great counselor there um, had talked me through her own journey and what she did, which was getting um, some training and going to a school for the blind. So Charlie did that. And at that point we had, um, we now am almost due with our third little girl. So at that point we had our first. So Ellie was about two or three years old at that point. And Charlie took a leave from work and um, <coughs> excuse me, went to a school for the blind down in Virginia. And that was really life-changing for us. Um, At the same time, he found blind hockey, so he found a really great support network. And, um, yeah, we started to see the light again. It was was really beautiful. It was a time when, you know, we had lost a lot of hope. We didn't really know where to go. And between blind hockey and the school for the blind um, really just kind of changed our lives. And from there, I mean, there certainly challenging times still of, you know, losing more vision and figuring out how to adapt. But overall, it's helped us to be better communicators with each other and probably given us a level of intimacy with each other just because we have to understand all of the things between the lines and there's a lot more reliance on on each other and coordination that needs to happen. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that again. I know it, it's incredible and i <laughs> fell in lo- <coughs> excuse me i uh, fell in love with you guys the first time that i met you guys in ottawa you had your little american bows and so did your daughters and it was incredible <laughs> um, <laughs> it was definitely uh it felt very right and it, it seems like you felt very right about charlie uh, you know at notre dame uh, I uh, I went to Holy Cross College, which is right around the corner there from Notre Dame and part of the tri-campus there. Um, how many times did you guys go on walks to the grotto? And would you like to explain to our listeners what like the grotto is? Because it's a very, um, it's just a very beautiful and spiritual place. And then uh, just a secondary question to that is, how do you feel that faith has helped you and Charlie and your family through this and finding blind hockey along that journey? Yeah, it was good questions. Um, the first, I love going for walks. So being outside and going for a walk is like my happy place. So Charlie and I went on a ton of walks around. There are two lakes right by the grotto. So anytime that I was stressed or we just had you know, an afternoon to to share together or an evening. We would tend to spend our time around the lakes um, and also stopping at the grotto. Uh, We went to mass together every Sunday evening um, and we'd often go to the grotto after. The grotto is this really beautiful little sanctuary almost on campus uh, where um, it's supposed to replicate an apparition of Mary that happened, Mary the Mother of God. Um, where St. Bernadette um, saw her and had Mary appear to her um, over in France. And um, within the grotto, it's like almost like a little cave, and it's full of candles. So students go to the grotto, students, visitors, etc. They go to the grotto, light a candle, and offer their intention there. And you can often find, you know, one, two, hundreds of people there praying. Uh, so it was a really special spot for us. And Charlie actually proposed really close to there. Um, So, yeah, definitely holds a a dear place in our hearts. Um, In terms of faith, um, yeah, faith has been a really important part of our journey as well. Um, From the pretty much the first week Charlie and I started 
hanging out at Notre Dame. We would go to mass together every week. And that was kind of a non-negotiable. I'd say it set the foundation for our relationship. But Charlie's vision, I think that's one of the blessings of his vision is just how it's strengthened and deepened our faith. Uh, We had, I would say on paper, this perfectly planned life. Um, College sweethearts, you know, going to a great college. Charlie had the perfect job lined up. At the time, I was in the financial services industry. My career was taking off. I was doing really well. And we were kind of checking off every box. And we were miserable. We were really unhappy. And we had everything that we ever wanted. But, you know, we were both suffering in our own ways and dealing with his diagnosis and our new reality um, kind of on our own um, with, rather than as a couple. And we had this really dear friend, Father Dyer and priest, who just got us involved in more ministries early on. And um, that was really life-changing for us. It helped us to get back into a community of people like we had at Notre Dame and um, to, yeah, really challenge us to, to live the faith, not just show up at Mass on Sunday, but to really start trusting in God. And we started to put our faith in Him more than in ourselves. And um, yeah, I think Charlie really, if you ask him about his vision, he would actually say that it is a blessing in disguise. I think he would have probably wound up being somebody who at 70 years old had worked and worked and worked every weekend and every night late and kind of turned around wondering where his life had gone. And his vision has, or his visual deterioration has pushed him in a different direction and made us really put faith in our family first. Um, For me, it's challenged me to let go and to put love first and to, you know, put the checklist aside and the perfection that I had been kind of spending my whole life, that's what my whole life searching for, to put that aside and to really take a look at what was important. Um, So, yeah, now we're super involved in our church community. We go to Mass a few days a week in addition to Sundays. Um, Our daughter goes to Catholic school. So we found, like, a really wonderful community that's, like, another family to us and really embraced us. That's so beautiful to hear. Thank you so much for sharing that. And the grotto is just such incredible, (laughs) like – if you haven't been there, it's one of those things that as you're walking up to it, you don't necessarily need to even have sight. You can feel the the, the presence of being in something that is a spectacle. Um, I think everything that uh, you're saying is absolutely incredible. And you answered my question perfectly. And that was exactly what... I was looking for so thank you so much, Katie, for going into detail with all those uh, answers. And, and I'm so happy to hear that Charlie has an incredible su- support system and a wife and in a family and with his faith. So thank you, uh, Katie. I will be passing it on to Josh. Awesome, dude. Thanks a lot. Hey, Katie, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks. Um, so we first met uh, when I wrote an article for uh, the newsletter, the, the, what was very, very, uh, in its infancy at that time, the Blind Hockey Grief newsletter. Um, can you tell me how it, you became to be the editor of that and how that has turned into what it is now, which is basically what everybody is using to find out all the information every month about USA Blind Hockey? Yeah, sure. So. Um, back in, I guess it was early 2020, um, we just had our second child, and I just kind of felt called in a different direction. At that point, I was still in financial services, um, in management, and I was doing well, but just kind of felt like I was being called in a different direction to serve my family differently, and still had this desire, though, to kind of use some of the talents and skills that I had gained in the business world, um, and also just to give back to the incredible community that is all of you, um, that had really just made such a difference in our family's life. It really 
was a turning point for us in this whole journey. So um, as I was getting ready to put in my resignation, I called Doris and her and I met up in Ottawa at um, Charlie's first tournament playing for Team USA. And I had said to her that, you know, I would, I would love to help and um, sent over some ideas that I had. And the newsletter was one that um, she had suggested doing and, you know, said that if I wanted to get involved, I could do it. And I give her a lot of credit because she just said, here you go, do whatever you want with it. And I love doing things like that where I've just kind of got a blank canvas. So um, from there, you know, it was a little bit challenging starting off because that was right at the start of the pandemic. So I thought I'd be, you know, um, creating this communication vehicle for um, reporting out on events and all these different things that were happening in the blind hockey community and nothing was happening. So it gave me an opportunity to get to know a lot of different players, learn different stories. And during that first year, we just tried to highlight um, what blind hockey meant to people and to bring some encouragement to the community and also to build just like a, a base of users or subscribers because uh, I think a big challenge in the blind hockey community is just communication across. So at the time, there really wasn't um, a centralized communication vehicle and trying to figure out who needed to be added, who um, might be interested in getting the news, all of that information was a big part of that first year and just a learning process too of what's helpful, what's not, what works, what doesn't. And we're still trying to figure that out. And now we're into, we're two years in and we're now into a new era, I hope, as things start to open back up and we actually have events to, to report out. So the goal of the newsletter for me has always been to just be a way to help bring people together and um, hopefully as it continues on, it can, you know, highlight some of the really great stories that are out there and um, help to, you know, share information across clubs and teams. Um, and at the same time, I was also getting involved in the Washington Blind Hockey Club. So I'm now the treasurer and on the board of that and do some other work to coordinate our events down here. So all of that to help me to understand you know, what's going on behind the scenes a bit better too, and to understand what is really needed within the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we thank you. And it's going to be funny because, you know, sooner or later, we're going to be racing against you for breaking news. That's what it's <laughs> going to be. Who gets it out first? Um, so I know we, I know I asked you this last time and I completely don't remember the answers, which might even make it better. Um, and if, if you guys didn't get the gist of it, so Katie was on last time, and uh, we've we've all botched episodes, and this was this was our time to botch another one. Um, so Katie's on doing the whole episode again, and we are so happy she's doing it. Um, but I I definitely I I know I asked. Um, what are your were your top three articles? Oh, top three articles. Um... I know I put you on the spot last time, and it might be even better that I that I asked you and now put you on the spot again. Yeah, I think um I think my answer last time is the same as this one. Not really specific ones, but the the player spotlights on the kids, um, those are those are always my favorite. Um I know for Charlie getting involved in blind hockey meant being part of something that's bigger than himself. And I think, you know, the peer group that he has, um kind of at the adult level, um, they really uplifted him and supported him. Um, and I think because he's had so many people who have been through it, kind of pulling him through, he looks to that next generation to say, you know, eventually I want to be able to give back. And um, also, you know, being a mom and seeing these kids who, you know, may not have similar opportunities to other kids to compete in sports um, and other types of competition because of their vision um, and seeing that they have that opportunity and what it, hearing what it means to them, getting pictures with their smiles, all of that stuff um, is, is just so cool for me. I love when we get a, a, a kid in there and a, and a player spotlight like that. Definitely. Absolutely. And you know what? There's that point of view, for me, 
I, I feel I get a little jealous of them. Like I wish I was six at their point with like my life ahead of me in blind hockey, whereas I have forty looking back on it and like you said, trying to figure out how I can help it out for help them out for the next generation. Um all right, so what are what would you like to see for the future, for twenty twenty two and beyond for the newsletter and for since you're heavily involved in the Washington Blind Hockey Club. Actually, you know what? I'll let I'll let Derek ask that one. I'm not stepping <laughs> on his. I'll go. I'll let I'll let him steal his. You know, new team questions. So, what would you? What do you see as the future? And what would what would you like to put in there? And uh, different. I like if you would like help with some things. What would you like to kind of have some experts come in and help out with? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, at the newsletter, I I kind of constantly check myself on, is this helpful? Is this beneficial? You know, a lot of hours go into it with editing and everything, and I'm happy to do that. But if it's not a helpful vehicle for people to receive information and get information, then I'd, you know, I'd rather use my time somewhere else um, to serve the community. So I guess the future of the newsletter is just continuing to evolve it into something that's helpful. So that might mean that it takes different forms and, um, you know, becomes a communication vehicle for different things that different information gets reported out through it or we change our focus entirely. I know um, just in terms of communication on the Washington team, we've been doing a lot of trial and error on just how do we best connect with our players so that they're informed and getting the information that they need in an accessible manner in a way that is non-stressful and makes life easier for them. So we now have a system in place where, you know, we put information on our website. Some people prefer that. Some prefer Facebook. Some Facebook isn't accessible for. Some prefer emails. Others find their email inboxes to be, you know, challenging to navigate. Others prefer text messages. So now we do all four. So you know, if the newsletter turns into something where we've got to be communicating out in different ways and it's shorter messages, whatever it needs to be, the goal is to just be a helpful way to bring the hockey community together um, through some type of communication vehicle. And this year in particular, assuming that we keep the same format and everything, you know, stays as is with it, I'm just looking forward to highlighting all of the great events coming up to hear things actually happening and have all of you guys getting back on the ice and to, you know, hear the stories and the excitement coming out of all the tournaments that are coming up. Absolutely. And there's so many new names too. And as I see those lists and I'm just like, and it's funny because I'm like, yes, more podcast people. I like pod people. Um, <laughs> yeah. We started with just going like kind of to get, put it in perspective. The first list that Doris and I, went off of to start building the newsletter. I think it was 40 people. And now we're two years in and we're up to 270. So. <coughs> that ton of feels like soda. <coughs> of course, we're going to cut that now. All right. That's awesome. I mean, and that's and that's what it is, is growing. Um, do you know? Now, this is our question. And this is kind of our idea. We're so we're we're well known in our close knit community, um, but our goal really is to educate the outside world. Also, um, are 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 you aiming for that outside community, or do you think you have audience outside our general vicinity, or is your goal basically to stay internal? Yeah, I mean, the goal would definitely be to get get the word out broader. I think the people that are going to want consistent communication on the blind hockey world um they're gonna have some type of connection generally so i've kind of found that you know i, I manage washington blind hockey's social media page we're up to about a thousand subscribers there and that's typically where you know our friends hear about things that are going on um and we we do post the newsletter um there too so i think social media is a place where especially for people outside of the blind hockey community who might have a lot of other interests too. Their email inbox is being hit, you know, left and right with, with different things. They're, they might not take the time to read a full newsletter, but they do 
have the attention to read a few lines of social media as they scroll through their newsfeed. So trying to get the newsletter posted through there, and I've found, um, you know, some of our stories on the Washington players, um, or even I wrote an editorial, I, I posted it, and we had, I think, like four to 500 views on that particular article because it was shared in a few different places on social media. Um, so we got a broader audience than just our subscriber base. And similar to other articles um, that I think have been shared um, through social media as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think your audience really is us because it really is, like you said, trying to inform us and keep us up to date about what's going on in our community. Um, and you know, you, you keep dropping hints about the Washington Blind Hockey Club. So now, now I really have to throw it over to Derek. Um, and I set this one up for you, dude, and I didn't take the question. So uh, I'll, I'll send it over to Washington Blind Hockey Club's newest player, or like one of the newest players, I guess. One of the newest. There's, a, there's another guy, John. <clears throat> all right. Hey, what's up? Um, all right. So, um, yeah. So the first time you guys heard about blind hockey, um, what were you guys expecting when you first heard about it? Like, were you guys thinking it was going to be a much slower game or how you be questioning how the like logistics would work in it? Or what was your first opinions when you guys first heard of it before you saw it? I had no opinion. My hockey knowledge is embarrassingly still limited, even though I tried to immerse myself in the hockey community for the last two years. Charlie was super skeptical. He just like, Charlie played um, at a prep school, played at a pretty elite level um, before going off to college. Um, So he didn't understand how it would work. He kind of thought he'd just be standing around at that first practice. And then once he you know, started going to practices, he realized, okay, this is really cool. And especially when he went down to, um, he was invited to um, try out for the national team, like I think two months into in Tampa. Yeah, in Tampa. Yeah. That was our first tournament. And I remember him coming off the ice after that first hour and him being like, this felt like, you know, my best competition days in high school. Like this really is elite and you would never know that any of these players have a visual impairment and at that point too charlie was still adapting to listening to the puck i think it he said it took him about a year to really transition from relying on his vision to starting to rely on more of the sound and everything so i think for him it was still a bit of a challenge going down there Uh, but he i just remember him coming off being so excited about the level of competition um, and knowing yeah. that, yeah, he he hadn't lost the sport that he loved. Yeah, no, I remember the first day I saw him in the locker room. He seemed he was very quiet. He seemed, he seemed nervous. He was just very quiet. And I was trying to get him to talk a little bit and, and kind of get him. Uh, Charlie, you, know, you were trying to get him to talk. I was trying to get him to talk. I really was. I was trying to get him to come out of his shell a little bit. But by the end of the weekend, you know, you even even though I couldn't see him, I could hear him smiling. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I could tell. <laughs> he just had a different aura about him after that weekend. Um, I still remember the first time I met uh, you and your daughter when I was injured in Ottawa on the sidelines. I remember hearing a woman and and a kid screaming, "Go, Charlie! Go USA!" And I, I realized it was you guys. And I thought we, I met you guys on the sidelines. And, and is that where you guys had those little American flags? Yep. Yeah, yeah. there are yeah. a few moments. Between Tampa and then Charlie went to um, a Team USA camp over the summer and kind of like how you could hear him smiling. I remember he got back around like midnight one night and Charlie's not usually one to get like overly excited about things. And I remember him waking me up in the middle of the night and just hugging me saying like, this was one of the best weeks of my life. Like, thank you for letting me do this. But really it. Yeah, it made me cry. It was, yeah. just, it was beautiful. It felt like that was the point of, you know, starting to accept the diagnosis and everything that was going on. And then going to Ottawa was just unbelievable. I mean, I had some pretty great sports moments of my own, and that takes the cake for me of watching was you guys the fat- out there and being on the ice, hearing your name was called, that- uh, being up in Ottawa. 
representing Team USA. That was just incredible. So yeah, yeah, that must have been great. What was uh, what, what were you guys surprised by how fast that game was? With when you see like you know at the international level. Yeah, I, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely really fast, especially uh, the Canadians' goals. I think uh, the first game was like thirteen one or something. So yeah, yeah, for me too. Like I. I didn't really get to see Charlie play at an elite level because he was doing that before I met him at Notre Dame. So, yeah, getting to watch him play at that level was just incredible. It was it was so yeah. cool. And Ellie, I mean, Ellie became the biggest fan of the team from the first time she went yeah. to practice. She would get up, we'd get up Sunday mornings that first year and get our bagels and sit on the bleachers at like 6 or 6.30 in the morning. And she was the only one there kind of ch- – chanting and cheering for the team and then when she went up to to canada just her little usa cheers were just so sweet yeah you see it was, it was adorable yeah um <clears throat> so what has been like your most memorable moment um in blind hockey would you say since you since you guys have joined the family yeah so i would say you know ottawa's up there but um the next memorable moment would be uh, courtesy of the Morgan family. Um, last year, Charlie um, was, you know, kind of struggling. He lost some more vision, and he was struggling, just kind of with adapting to that and what it meant from a work perspective. And um, Dirk, you and Emily called me to see how I was doing, which was just, you know, so beautiful. Everybody you know, had just kind of focused, or not everybody, but a lot of people um, in our circle had really focused on how Charlie was doing. And um, not only did you kind of come, you know, caring about me as a family member, but also, um, you know, talking me through your experience. And I think that's been one of the things that's been so helpful for me is, you know, Charlie and I share so much, but Charlie also um, I tend to be the talker in our relationship. So having people put to words some of the challenges and struggles has you know changed our marriage. It, it's helped me to understand on a deeper level. Um, but in that particular phone call, you also asked us to be Killian's godparents. And this is one of the most beautiful moments of my life of just, I had, you know, I felt like this community had become like family to us. And then you welcomed us into your family. So that was just so cool. And I I guess it's almost, it's probably a little over a year ago because Killian's coming up on his big first birthday, which is exciting. Yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. So, he's, uh, he's running all over the place. He's getting into stuff. I can't even keep up with him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you do it with three, but. Whew. I'll let you know when this third one arrives. But uh, Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to send Killian over. He'll help you out. If there's any food on the floor, he'll he'll clean it up for you. No <laughs> Thanks for that, but uh, um, yes. But yeah, but no, there's something there, unique but... about the um, there's something quite unique about the the blind hockey uh, community. Like ever since I joined it, like I just like you said, like you just feel like your family, like almost from day one, because everyone's got something they can relate to. Everybody, you know, is either know someone or is blind or visually impaired, you know, and, you know, and they know they're going through something. And uh, it, it makes it easier when you have someone, people around you that, that know what, what you're going through and can help you cope with it. Yeah, absolutely. I know, and I've got some really wonderful friends out there, but there are things that I've been able to talk to, you know, people within our blind hockey family about that I, you know, I haven't had an ear, a heart that, has understood in the same way and that's just been so beautiful for for me and for our family well i guess my last question would be what would be um what what, what advice could you give us anyone out there listening that, would, that wants to help or get involved and do anything to help kind of promote this sport and and get it out there what, what kind of little things can the everyday person um do to help kind of get this uh this sport going and get it on the international stage yeah i mean as far as getting it on the international stage i think that's a doris question but just in terms of what people can do i i think the biggest thing you know a lot of the times we focus so much on 
getting to practice, when practices are, um, the, you know, the, the meat and potatoes, I guess, of blind hockey, of getting out on the ice, getting workouts in, getting to tournaments. But I think where blind hockey really stands out and kind of transcends sport for me is everything that happens off the ice and those friendships and relationships that are built between practices. So I think the biggest thing that those who are in the blind hockey community can do to continue to help build the community is to be good friends to each other, to take the time to call and check in, um, to, you know, see how people are doing and to, you know, spend time going out to dinner together or just being good friends um, to each other because this journey is a roller coaster ride. And I think if I've learned anything, it's that you can't really predict how it'll go. I mean, there are little things that can trip us up of, you know, we think that we've got a handle on things and then all of a sudden something comes up where there's an unexpected challenge or an unexpected emotion that comes up related to the, you know, having less vision. I mean, whether it's, you know, not being able to play soccer with your kid or, um, you know, just feeling like people around you don't understand some of the challenges either in the workplace or just in like regular social circles and having those regular check-ins and continuing to have a peer group that does understand those challenges is the best thing that I think everyone else can do to keep keep the game moving forward and keep building on this beautiful family that we have. Yeah. yeah. Well, nice. I appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for your time, Katie. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, and on behalf of everybody in the blind hockey family, uh, thank you for everything you do for our sport, for the Washington blind hockey team and for uh, the newsletter. Um, uh, we all appreciate it. And uh, on that note, I'm going to send it over to Drew. And uh, thanks again. Thanks, Dirk. All right. So you're, and if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But you, so you're 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 getting ready for child number three. Yeah, in a soon, few right? weeks. Do April twenty seventh. We had a little scare two weeks ago. Thought she was coming, but uh. Yeah, hopefully I still have a few more weeks in me because there's some hockey tournaments coming up that I want Charlie to participate in. The goal is to at least make it through the Pittsburgh Disabled Festival, and then whatever she wants to do from there, it's fine. <laughs> That's awesome, and that I mean, you know, I feel like, well, you this will be your third, so you're you're as prepared as I think you possibly can be for this situation. Um, <laughs> So what's it, I guess my question, you know, we all, most of the people we have on the show are um, visually impaired players. Uh, and so we kind of all have that same experience where we feel a difference once we found our community. What's it like for you as a wife, as a significant other to, to be able to kind of see that transit. Was it a transition that you were able to notice in Charlie or, um, I mean, is, yeah, I think there, I think there is a change in both of us really. Um, for Charlie, um, I mean, I still even notice the change in him now when he might be going through a time where, you know, he's a bit more anxious about his vision or whatever, and he'll have time with the hockey guys and, I can just see he'll come home so much more relaxed. There's just that level of understanding and um, everything that, that comes from um, that group of friends that he now has. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing that hockey gave back to Charlie was his confidence. I think he was really feeling lost in, you know, needing to – rely on me for transportation, needing to rely on work to make all of these special accommodations for him where he just kind of, he wasn't, but he felt like a charity case. And, um, Charlie was a really confident guy when I, when I met him and he just lost that kind of spark that he had and that, that zest for life, um, 
And I really, I credit hockey to, to giving that back to him. He was able to see, or I guess no pun intended, he was able to see and feel that he was still the same person. I mean, losing his vision, but, you know, the same people around him still love him. And the same, he can still do so many of the same things. He just had to figure out different ways to do them. So, um, especially after, after practice, when he gets to like, just fly on the ice, so that's always his time to just forget it all, to put it aside and to just feel like, you know, the, the 20 year old he was before this all started. And that just kind of gives him hope back. And for me, what this community has given me and how it's changed me is that, you know, like I said, Charlie, I think Charlie is a, he's not as I'm the outgoing one in the relationship. I, I tend to speak for us both a lot of the times. Um, and I think he was also trying to figure out how he was feeling and what all of this was doing for him and how it was changing him. Um, and to sort through all of those emotions. And I gained a peer group of people who had kind of worked through a lot of those emotions or were still doing it and who could articulate to me some of the challenges that Charlie was still processing through and wasn't able to. So this group for me, you know, increased my empathy for him as a wife, helped me to understand what you know, what was anxiety producing or what things, you know, I could be more supportive about that I just didn't even realize were challenges for him. So yeah, it really helped to change us, us both, I think, for the better. I, I think that it's a specific kind of person that can stick through all of this because there's a lot that happens to us when we lose this lose vision that uh isn't isn't always the prettiest and so i think it's a testament to you know your guys relationship that that you've been able to uh you know outlast or whatever word you want to use for uh, continue to grow together in this way through through this um but yeah i think i think that's amazing oh thank you i i will say you know, when we look back on our marriage in the early years, like we were, we were just so naive about the world. Like we just, I mean, I guess everybody is in their twenties. I don't know if it was just us, but I think if not for the suffering, the journey, you know, we, we wouldn't understand the depth of love or you know need for each other that we have now too. So I think we're both actually you know it was hard for a few years if we had given up our lives would be awful and instead they're like it's it's really beautiful charlie i think wouldn't trade his his vision for what we've gained for it i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't want to give that up for him but um <laughs> no you yeah. can that's fine you can say that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean I'm, I'm grateful for it because yeah, it's helped us to become better parents i hope that you know, our girls, Ellie is five and a half, and she actually uh, brought me to tears. We were in Costco the other day, and out of nowhere, she she just turned to me, and she asked something about Charlie's vision, and she goes, Mom, is it wrong that I don't want Daddy's eyes to be cured? Because I think it's so cool that he's blind. And I think it's just because she sees all of the fruits of it. She sees that, you know, as a family, we have to... We have to plan a bit more, but we have a lot more together time. You know, we're in the car together more. We're we're doing things together more. She needs to help her dad with certain things. She needs to take responsibility to, to clean up or he'll step on her princess crown and break it for the fifth time. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there are lots of little lessons in humility, but I think, you know, for a five-year-old to even see that and to understand the good and the fruits that can come out of it if you really you know, stick through it and, um, love each other through it, then, I mean, that's, that's a pretty profound gift to, as a parent, to be able to give your child. So yeah, it, I mean, it's beautiful that Charlie can do that for the girls. Yeah. And, uh, I guess my, my last question, um, it's kind of along that responsibility, uh, line, 
you know, we had Easton Keto on last week, and he's, I, I did not realize how young he was. Um, but one of the questions I asked him was, you know, what do you think your responsibility to this community is? Um, what do you think our, and this, like Charlie and my age group, what do you think our responsibility is to this community? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, probably goes back to what I had said to Dirk just about, you know, being, building that family behind the scenes, behind, between practices, between all the events that take place and making connections with people and being vulnerable enough to share your story and the hard times and the good times to give people hope. I mean, to me, and I think for Charlie, what this community is, is hope. And we need to recognize when people might need a little bit more hope, when they might need a, a bit of a pick-me-up, um, and when they may need that good friend. Um, but I, I think that's really it. And I mean, to be able to give people hope, you also have to, you know, put it out there on the ice and keep your level of competition up. So another way that you, you bring hope is make yourselves faster, make yourselves better and show that nothing can hold you back. So I guess it's a two way street getting, uh, putting in the time in the gym and on the ice and putting it out there as an example that, you know, you really no limits. There's, there's nothing that can hold you guys back. So, and then also taking the time to also connect with people outside of hockey too. Awesome. That's, uh, I, you know, the gym is really the only issue I have with anything you just said, <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's great. And, you know, like we've all said, we really appreciate what you do for our community. Um, the newsletter is, is extremely helpful to us. So, you know, please keep up the good work. And uh, we really also appreciate you coming back for round two. And uh, we'll make sure to get this one to stick. So, uh, uh, Well, right back at you guys. I appreciate everything you guys do. And Drew, the Windy City Showdown was a, a highlight for Charlie in 2021. So I can only imagine I'm planning my first tri blind hockey event with the WBHC crew and it's been a lot of work. So I can't imagine how much work must have gotten into planning a multi-day tournament with people from across the country. So thanks for all of that and what you guys are doing on the podcast too. It's awesome. Thank you. It's, it's a lot of fun work is what I, I keep telling myself. That's the only way you get through <laughs> it. <laughs> but um, is there any, do you want to shout out the, are you guys on Facebook or Instagram? Do you have both? Uh, so Washington's now, we, we primarily focus on Facebook. So like the Washington Blind Hockey Club page on Facebook and also within your own clubs, within your, just your own personal accounts, share the newsletter, get the word out there. If you see a story that you like, post it. The best way that we can share um, what, what it is that you guys do is to spread the word. So people are taking time to share their stories. Now we need to keep sharing them out there. I think that's going to do it.